Hello, my friends. Great to be back in the chair today. Today's monologue and show is about Justin Trudeau and China. And instead of investigating himself, he wants to investigate you for misinformation, disinformation. He's got a new word, malinformation. I'll tell you what that means. But first, hey, can you subscribe to Rebel News Plus? It's the video version of this podcast. Go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe, eight bucks a month, you get the video version, and we get eight bucks. And you might not think that's a lot of money, but eight bucks a month from thousands of people, that really adds up, and that's how we pay our bills around here. So please help us, because we do not take money from Justin Trudeau, never will. Go to rebelnewsplus.com. Thanks. Here's today's podcast. Tonight, more damning proof of China corrupting Justin Trudeau. And he responds with China-style censorship. It's March 9th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. You know what? I have to say it feels unnatural for me to praise the mainstream media, mainstream media that gets a lot of its funding from Justin Trudeau, but I got to call it like I see it. Take a look at this latest video report from Global News. Located in the same building as Justin Trudeau's office, the Privy Council is tasked with providing advice to the government. And in January 2022, they issued a bombshell special report alleging the Chinese consulate in Toronto facilitated a large clandestine transfer of funds earmarked for the 2019 federal election. Global News reviewed the Privy Council documents, which says the cash from the Chinese consulate allegedly went to an elected provincial government official via a staff member of a 2019 federal candidate. Intelligence sources say the provincial official is a current member of the Ontario legislature. The memo was labeled finalized, suggesting it was meant for senior officials. But when asked, the Prime Minister's office would not say if Trudeau read it or even knew about the report. Oral questions. In question period, the Prime Minister was under fire from the opposition. He's not interested in protecting the safety of the people serving this country. He's interested in protecting the Liberal Party of Canada. In response, Trudeau turned to an old talking point. As both myself and the NSIA stated last fall, we have no information on any federal candidates receiving money from China, and that continues to remain the case. But Global News did not report the Prime Minister knew who received money from Beijing, or even that money made it to the candidates themselves. In November 2022, Global News first reported the Prime Minister was warned China had allegedly targeted 11 candidates in the 2019 election through a clandestine network to fund their campaigns. Trudeau's former national security advisor believes the prime minister should have read or been briefed on the contents of the Privy Council document. Given the subject matter and the seriousness of the allegations and the fact that we are either just before or in an election, he should have been made aware. But one document the prime minister is aware of, a report published just two months before the 2019 election from the National Security and Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians, which warned foreign states would target preferred candidates during the nomination process. The NCCOP report doesn't give examples of interference in the 2019 vote, but it did for the 2015 and 2018 elections, alleging a group associated with the Chinese embassy attempted to handpick candidates. And certain Chinese businesses were urged to make political contributions through Canadian subsidiaries. Huh. 
You know, I think that maybe, just maybe, after eight years, the media party's getting a little bit tired of Justin Trudeau. Maybe, I think this is a long shot, but maybe there's even a drop of morality, of right and wrong, of national patriotism and pride. Maybe they think there's something wrong about China corrupting Canada's democracy. I don't know what it is, but it's a pleasure to see journalists asking, acting like journalists, not just stenographers. I tell you, they keep this up for long. There won't be any need for Rebel News, although there is some need. I have right on my desk here a copy of a book I wrote called China Virus, How Justin Trudeau's Pro-Communist Ideology is Putting Canadians in Danger. If you have this book, you know I start off by talking about the uh, the coronavirus. I wrote this very quickly after the pandemic, but most of this book is about what I call the real virus, which is Chinese political influence. And if I wrote this book three years ago, you can't overpraise the media party for finally talking about the same things today. Anyways, um, there are real questions that need to be asked. And Trudeau is good at duck speaking, as Orwell would say, saying very little, very loudly, and in a pleasing blah, 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 murmur, patter kind of way. Uh, I think, though, there's a chance that Pierre Polyev is breaking through that. Look at this back and forth in question period. I like when he just drops the Yes or no. I want to play a few minutes of this because it's the cumulative effect here that's so powerful. Take a look. This is a few days ago. Uh, Pierre Polyev asking all the questions of Justin Trudeau on this matter. Take a look. He refuses to answer about whether his party or any other received money directed by the communist dictatorship in Beijing. That is, that, we can assume that the answer, therefore, is yes. How much did his party and other parts of his party get from the communist dictatorship? The right honorable prime minister. Mr. Speaker, on matters of national security, it's extremely important that we continue uh, to give Canadians confidence that our experts and our officials are doing their job, but it's also important to protect the women and men who serve in our security agencies doing extremely dangerous work uh, to keep Canadians safe. That's why we've created a committee where all parliamentarians from different parties can get top secrets clearance and look into these matters deeply without compromising the safety of people who serve this country. Honourable Leader of the Opposition. He's not interested in protecting the safety of the people serving this country. He's interested in protecting the Liberal Party of Canada. The question, the question was how much his party got in illegal donations funneled from Beijing. I've asked the question twice now. He refuses to answer it. He distracts and now claims that he can't tell it because it would harm national security. Give me a break. It would harm his political career. Why doesn't he tell us how much the Liberal Party or its various arms received in money from Beijing? How much? Mr. Speaker, it is unfortunate and despicable that any member in this House uh, would question the loyalty to Canada of any other here, member here. in this House. I understand the very real concerns that Canadians feel about foreign interference, and that's why we've created mechanisms to keep Canadians safe. But to suggest that anyone in this House isn't devoted to serving Canadians and keeping those who serve Canada in dangerous positions safe, safe is quite disgusting. The Honourable Leader of the Opposition. Mr. Speaker, no drama lesson will distract from the question that I asked. The question
question, the question was very clear. How much did the Liberal Party get in donations directed from Beijing? I've asked it multiple times. I find it incredible that he can't stand up and answer with a zero. Total. I mean, if he knows for sure it didn't happen, he's not been briefed to the contrary, he would say so right now. Yeah. But he's dodging the question. He's trying to engage in a drama, dramatic distraction. So I will give him one more chance. Answer the question, how much money did his party get from the dictatorship in Bing? Yeah. Beijing? opposition trying to backtrack from his heinous and disgusting accusations of disloyalty to Canada of anyone in this House. And I'm pleased to see him back off from what was an absolutely despicable partisan approach. Uh I find it quite interesting. There's, you know, the question period itself. There's pressure from Global News, the Globe and Mail, obviously the Sun chain of newspapers. So um, Trudeau has resisted so far. I got a, an interesting um, message from a senior journalist who said, well, how is this going to end? And I was pessimistic. I said, how would it end other than how it always ends? No liberal backbencher or cabinet minister is going to break ranks and tell Trudeau to step down. That would never happen. The one thing the liberals have is discipline. No one is going to call a police inquiry. Trudeau is lucky that way upon based on Brenda Lucky, the RCMP commissioner, who would never call for an investigation of her boss. There will be no parliamentary inquiry because Jagmeet Singh is a paper tiger. So as long as Justin Trudeau can keep coming up with blather, which is his expertise, I think the media will just tire themselves out. It's Muhammad Ali's rope-a-dope tactic. In fact, Trudeau will use the opportunity to blame his enemies, call them racist, and call for Chinese-style censorship of them. Trudeau has been pressed to have a formal police inquiry or judicial inquiry into his corruption at the hands of Communist China. But instead, he's announced money to go after his critics, including $5.5 million to smoke out social media. That's mean to him. Take a look at this. And finally today, I can announce that we're investing $5.5 million to build capacity of civil society organizations to combat disinformation. Because we know disinformation, often generated abroad, can be a real threat to our elections, and it's a threat that the federal government cannot combat alone. Foreign interference is a complex landscape that should not be boiled down to sound bites and binary choices. And it should certainly not be about partisan politics. You know, um, in the past, the liberal movies to call people racist, sexist, anti-gay, transphobic, and they still do play all those cards all the time. But I, I think some of it doesn't work, especially when many of the critics of Justin Trudeau these days are Chinese Canadian. They're just freedom-oriented Chinese Canadians. Maybe they are against the communist regime in Beijing. Maybe they're from Hong Kong originally, or maybe they're just proud Canadians who love liberty and don't want communist China to have its fingers in our country. So calling people like that racist doesn't quite work. Uh, you know, I, I think what works for the liberals, or at least they think it works, is calling people misinformation or agents like when the CBC said that the truckers weren't just racist and hateful, but they were actually agents of Vladimir Putin. Remember that? I do ask that because, uh, you know, given Canada's support of Ukraine in this current crisis with Russia, it, 
I don't know if it's far-fetched to ask, but, but there is concern that Russian actors could be continuing to fuel things uh, as, this, as this protest grows, but perhaps even instigating it from, from the outset. So they talk about misinformation and disinformation. And I saw a new one today, malinformation. That's the new thing. I, have you ever heard that word before? I love words, but I had never heard of malinformation before. Misinformation is when you're wrong, you're misinformed. Oh, you've been misinformed. Disinformation is when someone tells you something wrong on purpose. I first heard that word in the Cold War when the military would give disinformation, uh, leak disinformation to the Soviets so it would confuse them. It, it would be put them on the wrong track. Malinformation, which I have only now heard of, is information that is completely correct, but it's just inconvenient for the powerful people. I, I saw that word uh, today. Matt Taibbi, who's going through uh, Twitter's files, found this. Uh, let me quote. In one remarkable email, the Virality Project recommends that multiple platforms take action even against stories of true vaccine side effects and true posts which could fuel hesitancy. None of the leaders of this effort to police COVID speech had health expertise. So he's talking about the internal censorship at Twitter and how Pfizer and the FBI and others managed to just censor not just misinformation and disinformation, but true information that was inconvenient. Let me quote from his tweet. True content which might promote vaccine hesitancy. Stories of true vaccine side effects. True posts could fuel hesitancy, such as individual countries banning certain vaccines. So the call was to censor, to throttle true news about vaccines. Because people, listen, that second Pfizer yacht is not going to pay for itself. Uh, it's not just inside Twitter. There's these external groups, a, an entire fake fact-checking industry like NewsGuard. Who are these fact-checking reporters? Aren't all reporters fact-checkers? Well, uh, as Matt Taibbi post, uh, pointed out today, a lot of these fact-checkers are actually on the payroll of the Department of Defense. Here, let me read from Matt Taibbi again today. Some NGOs like the GEC, Global Engagement Center, the Secretary of State Department, the Global Disinformation Index, or the Def Department of Defense-funded NewsGuard, not only seek content moderation, but apply subjective risk or reliability scores to media outlets, which can result in reduction in revenue, do we want government in this role? So these fact checkers, they get grants from the government to check the facts, which generally means to criticize the opinions of anyone who disagrees with their regime. And as you've just learned, they don't just criticize false facts, they criticize true facts that are malinformation. It's happening in America, of course, and it's happening in Canada, too, and it's going to happen even more as the government continues to regulate the media through C-11, C-18, and other laws. I'm scared of this. I read this to you the other day. I don't think I've seen this reported anywhere else in the Trucker Commission of Inquiry. It wasn't just the oral testimony, but um, senior officials, including cabinet ministers, were interviewed by commission lawyers who summarized them. I read this to you the other day. Here's David Lamendi, the justice minister, saying it should be easier to declare an emergency. I'll read the notes of the commission. 
Minister Lametti identified two areas in which the legislative and policy reform was required. The first was legislative amendments to the Emergencies Act itself to make it more responsive to pandemics and health emergencies, that is, to make it easier to declare. There is also a need to modernize the language of the Act to address online harm, such as violent online rhetoric and financing. I'm not sure how rhetoric can be violent. If it's just words, it's not violent. So I read that to you before, but here's another excerpt from the same enormous 2,000-page commission report. This is Janice Charette, who is the Privy Council clerk and deputy clerk, and um, the, the two of them were having an interview, I, I, if I understand this correctly. Let me quote from the commission. So this is the senior, senior bureaucrat in charge of the entire civil service. The job of the Privy, Privy Council clerk is to take the prime minister's political goals and get the... Um, civil servants get the bureaucrats of the country to make it happen. What she really says is that foreign interference in elections isn't really a problem. What she wants to tackle is domestic social media. That's what needs to be monitored and regulated. Here, let me quote, I'll put this in her own words. It's on page 12 of the document here. Ms. Sherratt, that's the head of the Privy Council, recalled that social media played a significant role in mobilizing protesters. Misinformation and disinformation were feeding the phenomenon and being amplified not just on the domestic side, but also internationally, including by high-profile U.S. politicians. Ms. Charette tasked the NSIA, that's the National Security and Intelligence Advisor, and her staff to develop informal tools for social media monitoring. She recalled that the Intelligence Assessment Secretariat developed OSINT briefs for this purpose, even though it was not the type of product normally prepared by IS. OSINT stands for Open Source Intelligence, refers to get data gathered from publicly available sources. OSINT is the term in intelligence circles. Ms. Charette noted that Privy Council previously recognized the need to address this issue during the 2021 federal election, during which the PM and candidates from all parties received a heightened amount of violent threats, including online. Ms. Duran remarked that although Canada is well-equipped to respond to online foreign interference in the electoral context, this is not the case for monitoring of domestic media. She noted this was an especially difficult area for policy and regulation. And then on page 14, called for more regulation. The panel identified two areas that, in their view, could be considered for legislative reform. The first is policing jurisdiction over the parliamentary precinct and the national capital region generally, as well as jurisdiction and ports of entry, there must be consideration of the definition and adequacy of the ability to protect critical infrastructure from threats. So they want to surveil people at, around the country. But here's the part that scares me. The second is the adequacy of social media monitoring and the regulation of misinformation, disinformation, and online violent rhetoric, as well as strengthening Canada's toolkit around foreign interference. So their big takeaway from the trucker convoy, the peaceful trucker convoy, was it's not the foreigners we got to watch out for. It's those pesky Canadians and their free speech. We need to regulate that more. That's what they're saying. And that's not a nobody. That's the head of the civil service saying that. I think we live in dangerous times, my friend, and I think they're going to get more dangerous. Stay with us. More ahead.
know, some of my favorite books and movies, when they come out there, they predict the future so uncannily that years or decades later, when their prophecy comes true, you read the book and you say, what was all the fuss about it? it because when it was published, it was radical, but it came true. I think about that book, Thank You for Smoking, which was a, a comedy about everything being banned. Well, it, well, it sort of came true. And even, for example, in the science fiction, sci-fi, uh, dystopian future movie called Ex Machina, which was about artificial intelligence and robotics and things like that. Well, my gosh, it's come true. And I tell you that because I want to show you a two-minute clip from South Park, the absurd comedy cartoon, adult comedy, adult cartoons. I'm going to play you a clip. I think there's some swearing in it, so be forewarned. When this aired in 2019, it was absurd. It was crazy. After all, it's a, it's a humorous cartoon. But it's not funny anymore. I tell you, it's come true. Watching this video in 2023 is very different than watching it in 2019 when it was a hysterical, absurd joke. Take a look at this excerpt from the South Park Strong Woman competition. Take a look. Now, this is the first year that a trans woman is in the competition. How do you feel about that? Amazing. I feel honored to be a part of history. I have a lot of incredible trans friends who are athletes, and so we're all inspired this woman's competing. Uh-huh. And uh, have you actually ever met Heather Swanson? Uh, no, I've never competed against her before, no. She's not exactly your average trans athlete. Well, what is an average trans athlete? Honestly, I find that kind of bigoted, David. Okay. Heather Swanson is actually joining us now. Miss Swanson, how does it feel to be competing today? I can't tell you how free I feel now that I've started identifying as a woman. Now that I can compete as female, I'm ready to smash the other girls. And is it correct you just started identifying as female two weeks ago? I'm not here to talk about my transition. I'm here to kick some fucking ass. Let me tell you something, Dingleberry. David Perry. I'm gonna roll up the other women here, and I'm gonna smoke them. I am the strongest woman this state has ever seen. Any words for the challenger, Miss Woman? Uh, good luck, Heather. <laughs> luck is for dudes. Well, with that, let's get right to the action. Strong woman. That's uh, a character, Randy the Macho Man Savage, for people 
of my vintage and older who might remember him from professional wrestling. He was, I mean, the Macho Man. That's his nickname. That's sort of the giveaway. How long has it been since you've been transitioning? Oh, two weeks ago, but let's not talk about that. It was just, you know, when that aired almost four years ago, people thought, well, that's absurd. That's a joke. There's South Park again. I ask you, what single word or image there has not come to pass and joining us now by escape of Skype to talk about it is our friend coach Linda Blade co-author of Unsporting a book about transgenderism in sports Linda great to see you again thank you Ezra nice to be here you know uh, don't mind me and I mean the South Park's a little crude there was a swear in there but I'm sure we've all heard that word before that's part of Randy Machoman's savage style, just extremely, yeah. extreme toxic masculinity. I'm here to crush the girls. Um, <laughs> that's the problem. I mean, it's, I think in almost any sport that in involves physicality, there's an unfairness, an in essential unfairness. I don't think it's unfair for male and female chess players or ma male and female uh, competitors in on TV's Jeopardy, but when it's physical smashing and crushing and punching and lifting, it's not sport anymore. It's not sport. It's not even fun. It's it's some sick thing. And and smashing women is actually what a lot of this transgender sports is about. Yeah, I mean, it seems like that they just want to come in and identify for some sort of weird kind of power play. Uh, and I can read their minds, but you know, the biggest issue is that our sports governing bodies are just stepping aside, opening the door and inviting them in and allowing them to compete as women. Um, this has been my concern from the beginning. It, you know, we should have rules and regulations about this. Yeah. It's not even fun. I mean, uh, there's this uh, commentator, musician, and bodybuilder in the UK named Zuby, who just as a lark said, I identify as woman for the next few minutes. And then he did all sorts of weightlifting, uh, you know, li uh, bench pressing this, leg pressing that. And he said, I just smashed every single women's record in history. Now I'm going to stop identifying as a woman. I'm a man again. And it was, I mean, obviously it was a joke. It was absurd. But uh, it, it's not fun anymore. It's it's a way, frankly, for losers who can't compete against other men to go and have an easy win. It, it's like Kramer in Seinfeld doing Taekwondo in, in a children's class. It's the only way he could win. But that's a comedy and South Park is a t comedy. But these people are really doing it in real life. And it's one thing to do weightlifting. You're not going to hurt anyone. But in in rugby, in mixed martial arts, they literally hurt seriously injure the women competitors, don't they? Yeah. In fact, uh, World Rugby had to do a study on this in 2020, and they determined that it, if you even have one male-born person, male body on the pitch with the women, uh, the chances of head, neck, and back injury for all the women there who are playing rugby will go up at least 30%. So we're talking about safe sport. We're talking about the concussion protocol. I mean, it's everything that we've been preaching against and in sport governing bodies for the last 20 years. And all of a sudden, somehow this is supposed to be OK now. You know, there's no common sense here, but um, there's some crazy woke ideology even in the courts. I want to read you a story uh, from CBS News and the headline just a couple of days ago. 
Trans women can compete in USA powerlifting, ruling says. I'll read a little bit of the article. Transgender women can now compete in USA powerlifting after a court ruled in favor of athlete J.C. Cooper, who filed a discrimination case against the Federation after she was banned from competing in women's events. It's very confusing how journalists put she there. And, and in your mind's eye, you're thinking, oh, she, what does she look like? But uh, the, the less clever uh, news actually show photos of these, of these fellas. Let me read an excerpt in CBS from the judge, and this will just get you going. The judge wrote that while the USA powerlifting focused on the notion of fairness in its decision to bar trans women from competition, citing an unfair advantage, quote, the USA powerlifting's evidence of competitive advantage does not take into account any competitive disadvantage a transgender athlete might face from, for example, increased risk of depression and suicide lack of access to coaching and practice facilities or other uh, performance. Those have got nothing to do with strength and powerlifting. That's a judge trying to daydream. Well, sure, this guy is two, three times stronger than these women, but he might be depressed. Did you think of that? He might be suicidal. Did you think like that's not science? That's not law. That's extremist politics and a judge who's, who's looking to make a headline for himself. It's not going to be fun anymore. It's not sport anymore. Well, it's just outright insulting. As if women's sports is supposed to be the somehow the template or mechanism for social therapy, somebody who is so suicidal. What in the world? Are we using women's sports, really, as a therapy session now for some male-born person who just decides that, you know, they're going to claim that somehow – if they're not allowed to unfairly win against female athletes, that somehow we're, we're all responsible for what they might do to themselves. It seems like a very childish demand. Yeah. Well, I mean, all of this is some sort of therapy. I mean, um, I, I think a convincing theory about the Kayla Lemieux teacher who goes into shop class with these absurd uh, prosthetic breasts is that Doing that, being that is some sort of a sexual, uh, sexually soothing or exciting for him to do, to to parade around and have people look at him like that. Like it's all a form of narcissistic therapy, all of this. And in the past, it would be unacceptable. Now it's unacceptable if you speak out against it. In Calgary last week, a Christian pastor was jailed for objecting to a drag queen story hour. But our, our prime minister had something to say about this, and I think it was on International Women's Day. Let me quote uh, Justin Trudeau's tweet. With a disturbing rise in anti-transgender hate here in Canada and around the world recently, I want to be very clear about one more thing. Trans women are women. We will always stand up to this hate whenever and wherever it occurs. Um, so if you, if you think that a, someone born a man is not a woman, if you, if you think two plus two is four and not five, you are full of hate. You heard it from the prime minister himself. You either support this radical relabeling of words, dis destruction of the meaning, or you're a hater. Which one are you? Are you, are you, uh, for this or are you transphobe? Trudeau wants to know, what do you make of that? Well, I can tell you this, Ezra, for the prime minister to say that 
on International Women's Day is absolutely disrespectful and hateful towards female-born persons in Canada. There is a sex-based distinction between males and females. And for the prime minister to pretend like that doesn't exist is a denial of things that would entice people in his government and other organizations across the country to establish laws and policies that literally discriminate against biological women on the basis of sex. So shame on the prime minister. This should never have been said, especially on International Women's Day. Yeah. You know, and I've talked to Barbara Kay about this before. Um, at the end of that South Park episode, you saw Randy the Macho Man Savage standing in first place and natural women in second and third. And and in fact, even the cover of your book on sporting, there's a trans uh, athlete in first place and then dejected women in second and third. But how long will it be really before first, second and third are all trans athletes? Like, why not? Um, and how long will it be before all the competitors in powerlifting are men? And the reason I say that is, no matter how hard a female athlete trains, just in terms of genetics and testosterone and muscle mass and things like that, you have to go through a lot of male athletes before you get to the strongest female athlete. And that's not a knock. That's just an observation. Um, and why would there just be one Leah Thomas swimmer? Why would there just be one JC powerlifter. And, and I think what you're going to see very shortly is the total extinction of women in sports, at least those sports, which is many of them, where strength and muscle mass and power and force are determinative. Um, if you allow trans athletes into a sport, it is only a matter of time before there are no women left. We're just in the very early days of this yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. And uh, the thing is, that I wanted to say something about that. If you allow male-born athletes, people, to self-identify into women's sports, it's actually anti-trans. And I'll tell you why. There are a lot of young women these days who identify as non-binary and basically men. So they're female-born and they're identifying as trans. And they seek to stay in women's sports because they know that's the only place that they're really going to have a chance of winning. And, they, and we don't mind. Those, because they're female athletes, we don't care how they identify. So if you're going to put a male-born person into the female category, it's actually one type of trans discriminating another, against another type of trans. So it's not even about transphobia or anything. It's about delineating cat categories based on the binary sex type of person that you are. You're either born male or you're born female. And, and we know this. We've known this from the beginning of time. So, you know, to go along and it, pretend like that doesn't exist, then why are you having a separate women category in the first place? Yeah, it, it really is sad. I mean, I, it, it, it is within our living memory that women only entered certain sports. I mean, we've all probably seen the image of a woman sneaking into the Boston Marathon and, mm -hmm. and uh, sure. officials trying to stop her. That's a male-only event. There's a lot of sports clubs where women were not allowed. The Olympics itself was originally all male. So, 
and and of course in the United States, especially um, funding of women's sports and treating women's sports equally, giving girls a chance to be athletic is is very new. And I'm talking only in the last generation. So the golden age of young women and women in sports is coming to an end. And it just is, is so bizarre. It's a reminder that progress is not permanent. And I find this is a new form of barbarism. You know, you could say that bar barbarism versus civilization, part of it is, do you protect the weak? And I'm not saying women are weak, but I'm saying that physically speaking, women are not as strong as men. And if you just simply say, so what? Macho man savage here. I'm the strong woman. Like if you just simply allow bullies to physically smash their way in, that's a form of barbarism. I, it really is. And here we are. Yep. And you know what? It doesn't stop on the playing field. They're allowed to come into the locker rooms with the female athletes and everything. So, uh, you know, the, as the women swimmers found out with Leah Thomas, they all go had to go hide and change in the cubicle, like in the toilet little cubicle, because there was a male person standing out exposing himself out in the main in the main locker room. So well, that, it, it's mm -hmm. it's just it's it's terrible. And that's the crazy thing is a lot of these trans athletes, they still have their twig and berries. They're still dating women um, and yeah. they just get a real kick out of being able to stand in a women's locker room naked and amongst other yep. naked people. It's super gross. Well, listen, I'm, I'm glad to talk to you about it. And I'm excited to learn that you are teaming up with the McDonnell Laurier Institute to start a gender policy program there. In fact, you've got a crowdfund. And we'll put the website on the screen here, and I'll read a little bit from it. Help Coach Blade and the McDonald-Laurier Institute stand up to gender policy that erodes sex-based rights. And your crowdfunding, you say, for every $5 raised in this campaign, Coach Blade and a private donor will each donate an additional $1 to a maximum of $5,000 each. Um, help us turn twenty five grand into thirty five grand and support a fair, thoughtful gender policy that protects the interests of all vulnerable groups. So congratulations. Give us a word on the kind of work you'll be doing with that. Well, the truth is that very few media organizations, as you well know, Ezra, would, you know, care to talk about this transgender issue. And whenever McDonald Laurier Institute publishes, and they have, to their credit, published things like on the issue of men and males and female uh, prisons in Canada, uh, men and identifying into women's sports, um, they don't get a penny. And we have really appreciated as a group of women across the country, the work that the MLI has done in publishing material and telling people the story, the honest truth about what's going on. And so I felt, I felt like I take some of the proceeds from our book from Unsporting and put it up and to amplify the message and, and help the, you know, media organization get the message out. And that's really what this is about. Well, that's incredible. Congratulations to you and the McDonnell Laurier Institute. Very courageous these days to take that Thank stand. You. Great to catch up with you. The book, again, is called Unsporting. You can get it at unsporting.com. Keep up the fight, Coach Blade. We're trying. Right on. There you have it. Well, good to catch up there. That's Coach Linda Blade. Stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome.
Welcome back. Your letters to me. Gordon McMichael says, I respect and appreciate the work of your frequent guest hosts, Sheila Gunn-Reed and David Menzies, and hope that we will continue to see them in this role in the days ahead. At the same time, I just wanted to say that Tamara Ugolini made a very positive impression as a guest host tonight, March 7th. Soft-spoken, but very pointed in her remarks. She's a welcome addition to your stable of very able guest hosts. Still like seeing the boss man in the chair, though, whenever your no-doubt busy schedule permits. Well, thanks for your kind words. I'll pass them on to Tamara. And I did watch uh, part of that show, and I think she did great, so thanks for your kudos. I try my best to be here as much as possible, and if I know I'm going to be away, I try and pre-tape a long-form interview with someone, but there are some days I simply must travel. And some days, the travel takes up the most of the day anyways. Uh, for example, I think I'm going to be going back to Lethbridge, Alberta for the verdict in Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky's case. As you know, he was prosecuted for two days um, for giving a sermon to the truckers, so I'll be out there for that. But I do try and be here as much as I can. On David Menzies' monologue about the trans takeover of International Women's Day, Walkie Talkin says, I identify as 70 years. I want my pension, please. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And on Menzies uh, and Randy Hillier, Don Man says, it's nice to finally see Randy Hillier again. The poor guy kind of fell off the map for the last while. Why can't Trudeau be forced to cooperate like they made Randy? Well, that's sort of the thing. The word cooperate and force don't really go together. I mean, cooperation is something done voluntarily. That's our show for today. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom.